This is Power Athlete Radio. With your hosts, Denny Kaye, Professor Booty, and the Luke Summers. And now, toes forward, hips locked, shoulders set, and retract those scapulas. It's time for some knowledge bombs. Welcome to episode 63, Power Athlete Radio. It's going to be a good one. As always, I'm joined with the awesome fucking coaches from Power Athlete HQ. Let me get the order right, because Luke's sensitive about this. John, Luke, Allie, Tex, and we got a special guest with us, Mr. Rob Wolf. What's happening? Not much. How are you guys doing? What's up? We Tax are good. The bottom of the totem pole. What? Yeah, I don't like this order. Then he changed it. <laughs> uh, yeah, this tactical quilting guy, he's going to be uh, coming in intermediately. You're like the Ed McMahon. We just moved you over to the couch. <laughs> Johnny. <laughs> That's all right, sir. You are right. I've been working on my one-liners. I'm cool with this. All right. Get your chili hot. <laughs> I thought this was video, which horrified everybody because I haven't showered and I drank a couple of glasses of wine last night. So I was well, we, we saw looking you. more yeah. rough than normal. So we by a couple glasses, he really means like six or seven, like tequila shots, <laughs> uh, a little bit of mescaline. But, you know, who's counting? That's getting your chili hat. As, the term, <laughs> the term well, sea hat came to mind. Oh. <laughs> as, as Robbie's driving around with Dr. Gonzo, you know, searching for the bats in the back of his car. It is Reno, man. It is Reno. Yeah, you just have to keep your cap on the ether, uh, altitude, and uh, make that stuff evaporate very quickly. Yeah, it's the guys that start huffing ether, the ones you got to be most nervous about. So, <laughs> Mr. Wolf, what's going down, man? How's everything going? Everything's good. We're, uh, you know, screaming towards uh, Wolf Cub number two arrival, um, working on the, uh, the City Zero project. We're getting a CEO hired for that and getting all the... Uh, you know, the wheels on the wagon with that scene and um, that, uh, you know, getting the dog piss beat out of me at Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. And that's really about the extent of my life right now. Nice. So how's the training coming? Training's pretty good. John, uh, Johnny actually uh, set me up on a two-day-a-week Bulgarian split because, um, uh, you know, being an old dude and get, generally getting the crap beat out of me at Jits, I, I just don't have a lot of time to train or recover. And so John... Uh, I had been tinkering with some two-day splits for a while, but John actually uh, uh, put together, kind of ramped up a Bulgarian split for me, um, you know, a press, pull, squat, hinge. Each of these days, usually do one on a Sunday, one on a Wednesday, and work up to a, a speedy kind of kind of one rep max and then dial it back um, 20, 25%, <clears throat> get a little bit of volume work done, and, and that's been working out really well. So that's basically been my strength work and then most of the conditioning just coming from rolling although i do a little bit of low level cardio to uh to as a recovery aid but that's that's been about the extent of my my stuff but i actually got a triple with the 425 on the back squat the other day at a buck 70 so you know nice. yeah, not bad 
Okay. You must have been a, a teenage weightlifting powerlifting <laughs> uh, Rumor has it Rob Wolf was a teenage state powerlifting champion. We haven't so... even been 30 seconds into this podcast. <laughs> we have we have royalty on the phone. It, you know, it's similar to um, uh, uh, Tucker Max when we were at uh, uh, Palo FX. Um, he, he mentioned that anybody who's attended Harvard, you'll know that they've attended Harvard within, you know, like 30 seconds. So, yeah, similarly, I, I, I was, a, in fact, a teenage state powerlifting champion for California. <laughs> California, which is the fifth largest um, economy on the planet. So, as soon as you said that, I thought about uh, Lalonde, uh, you know, with the Harvard thing, and I'm like, yeah, that's true. Lalonde is quick to drop that, which is funny because Lalonde doesn't really have to really trump card people too often. No. But uh, that's you know, he'll he'll definitely work it quickly into the conversation. That's yeah. like John. That's like John's go-to. I'm sorry, has anyone else been to the games here? I did compete in the compete 2008 in the CrossFit Games. Nobody else in this room has competed at the CrossFit. <laughs> <laughs> and you fit. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm also I have the distinction of being the largest athlete to ever compete in the CrossFit Games. Not to mention 100 career NFL starts, 10 playoff appearances. Well, no, that stuff's not important. <laughs> the fact that I competed in the games is what's the important thing. And uh, the best is I when I that's when I uh, had my famous meeting with Rob Wolf, where you know we'd obviously been emailing and you know uh, uh, you know been in contact, but we actually got to meet face to face. And I remember like uh, Robbie just basically we started talking about training and nutrition, and he was just like the infamous Rob Wolf. Really? Really? Are you sure about that? Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, that's okay. a great backstory. Yeah, there's well, a. What is it? John was just uh, super impressed with um, my my pretty um, skanky trainers at the time. So <laughs> he's like, "Yeah, you roll with a pretty good posse." I'm like, "Yep," and I well, get a really, really large shirt. Oh well, yeah, large green shirt. Uh, having played in uh, the NFL for a long time, I have a certain spider sense for, um, uh, you know. Horse? Yeah. For, uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> for uh, uh, women that fall within what we call a target-rich environment. And uh, Rob <laughs> rolls up. And I'll tell you this. Yeah, yeah. Rob, Rob rolls up with these girls and, like, my spider sense went through the roof. And I, like, look at Rob and I was like, oh. My spider sense is going out of control. Is that what and guys call it? Their spider sense? That's what I call it. Spider sense. <laughs> my dude, my spidey sense goes crazy. And uh, I mean, the fact that your, tu your tube snake sense would be uh, go <laughs> say that. So. Well, you know, like I'm uh, I'm not good at many things, but I'll tell you this. Uh, the spider sense for uh, for for uh, loose moral women is uh, pretty spot on. And uh, so Rob turns, he's like, God, I'm like, I'm telling you, man, uh, the NFL teach you a few things. One, it's how to spot girls like that, you know, so. Yeah, like, God love you, sir. You, your radar is finely tuned. So, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, we had a good time, and uh, yeah, that was uh, you know we really I I think out of that conversation a lot of what you guys uh, you know really the first conversation with a lot of the diet stuff that we really put out for a lot of the early power athlete stuff really came out of that initial meeting, and then also what you guys see for a lot of the training because uh, unfortunately. Uh, as I was training for the NFL to go back and I decided to do my games, I really had to move my training over to some real classic CrossFit. And then, you know, while I, I did okay at the games, uh, it didn't really pay super good dividends for me when I went to training camp. I was probably a little tired to say the least. So we came back, I was like, oh, okay, I think I know how to do this CrossFit football stuff. So that was a, that was a real good eye opener. And also, you know, trying to race Chris Spieler in uh, burpees and pull-ups never a good idea i'm like i'll totally win this thing and i'm like what? i look over i'm like so i gotta beat this five foot three uh, 135 pound dude in burpees yeah this ain't gonna happen 
Did, so, didn't you throw a bar at John Birch? Uh, no, I tried to throw a bar at, um, what's his name? Uh, John Brown. Cause he, oh, uh, oh, okay. Yeah. So he, you know, like they, I remember the first thruster deal. He's like, well, let me see one rep. So I know where, where to judge you at. I was like, cause I got this bone chip in my knee and I, I, I can't squat like, you know, assed ankles. I mean, I got a base, you know, I get about an inch or two below parallel, but like, this is what, it, this is the extent of it. He's like, fine, let's show it to me. So I showed it to him. All of a sudden they, they blow the whistle three, two, one, go. I do the first thruster and he goes, no count. And I look at the dude, I'm like, I just showed you what I could do. I mean, like, if this is the first fresh one, I'm not going to cut it. And I did like another two or three and he kept no counting me. And I looked at him and I was like, all right, you know, <laughs> basically like we, we, we just went through this. And then finally he started giving me some reps then we go over to do the pull-ups and we're doing the, the chest to bar. And, uh, you know, I was like pulling straight up and banging my chest against the bar and he couldn't see that. So then he's like, no, you have to hit your, the front part of the bar and the whole thing fucking evaporated, dude. I shredded my palm. I think I did like 70 reps of pull-ups, 70 reps. I mean, my, my, Fran, which I had done, which was like 340, was all of a sudden like 12 and a half minutes. And somewhere in there, I just got so mad, I fucking threw the bar. And uh, he smart, he, he intelligently moved, and uh, the bar hit John Birch and broke his toe. Oh, that's right. Okay, so Birch yeah. was just incidental. Okay, but I still well, love that either way. So yeah, I mean, you know, he was, you know, in the, like a pair of like, you know, uh, China chose the lemon shorts and um, and like a <laughs> pair of like five fingers. And he was all like, you know, like I'm like, you know, this mock Spider-Man guy, like Ninja Warrior, but like, you know, now I'm a BLD CrossFitter. So that that was his vibe, and he. Got his toe broken that was the end of the so i did feel bad about that but so that sounds like a rough weekend you want to talk about it uh it was a fucking game was fucking no joke dude i mean the problem became they uh they had the bars out in the sun and those black bars yeah. were so fucking hot and then the pull-ups were so hot and they only sanded the bottom so they didn't sand the top and they were rusted and I sheared off like both of my palms. Like that's, that's pre elite gloves. Well, no, it was pre. Uh, hey, let's pre not the competitors. <laughs> yeah, it was. It was pre like let's not fucking kill the competitors. So that was still when like the idea like Amy hey, will kill people. So it was. Uh, it was in the infancy of this of the whole of the thing known as the CrossFit Games. <laughs> you when you guys were trying to hammer out um, like the power athlete diet or the CrossFit football diet. Uh, did you, John, did you try like a zone approach first? Because I, I thought yes. I heard you speak about like trying that and having some insane yeah. amount of blocks that you were on. Like, well, um, so when, uh, you know, early in the CrossFit game, when you came into CrossFit, there was a few things that were like, you know, pretty standard that uh, we've since just catapulted past. But when you came in the CrossFit deal, it was like this idea that you, you know, you, you have to meet this standard of a, you know, 500 pound deadlift and a sub five minute mile, right? So I came in and I deadlifted 600 pounds and they were like, oh, you're obviously too strong. We got to get that mile time down. I'm like, oh, great. So the other big one was, you know, let's figure out what your zone proportions are. And when we zoned out my calories, it was like 40 blocks and, uh, you know, <laughs> trying to eat like 40 blocks of spinach is a fucking disaster, you know, because of course Unless you're you know, hippopotamus. It's, it's pretty, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. <laughs> so, so, so like, yeah, you know, like, like the 40 grams of, of carbs or the, the 40 blocks of carbs was absolutely fucking disaster. So I remember like looking at this and just this volume of food, I'm like, this is, there's gotta be an easier way to skin this bullshit. And 
that's when I hit Rob up and he's like, let's do this. Why don't we drop you back to like 25 blocks and we'll add fat. And then it became like the, uh, the Rob Wolf, what we call the Rob Wolf, like an extreme tinkering to necessarily get this thing into a manageable position. So uh, that's really where it came down to. And then as we started kind of tinkering and playing, I mean, we, you know, and Rob and I had been on this journey for, dude, it seems like eons. I feel like we went to different high schools together. We've been on this journey so long, but uh, you know, when we really started, it was this idea like, okay, um, you know, obviously a 40, 30, 30, which is, you know, by uh, no means a high carb diet, but for most people, especially in today's paleo world, like a 40% carbohydrate is fucking shit ton of carbs. So, I mean, we kind of started there and then what did we do? We ratcheted the carbs down, we ratcheted the fat up, performance did well and for a little bit and then we kind of have tinkered with it and i think at one point we were both pretty mad at the carbohydrate where we were like ah fuck carbs we don't need them and we kind of went in that direction and i think we saw some negative performance gains and people started to fry out and then i think you know now we've looked at it like you know there's a uh, you know carbs are fuel and gas for your car and you know you don't need to over gas your tank but if you under gas your tank you're not getting very far so i yeah. think we like started on one extreme and like went to another extreme and then we found this kind of sweet spot in the middle and uh the problem is is i don't know if people bothered to steal that information from rob and i yet i mean they're, they're probably still thieving off of 2009 2010 material they got to get to 2014 material you know and it's so hard to get that that message out there that like if you're metabolically broken um avoiding some dense carbs you know sweet potatoes and rice and stuff like that is probably a good idea until we we fix your your metabolic engine if you're a night shift cop or you know police military fire and you've been up for two days straight um you're super insulin resistant in that period of time maybe we just do a, a protein and fat meal and some some veggies and then after you get some exercise in then we we throw some carbs into the post-workout period it, it's uh it, it's some really important nuance that um seems super hard to get people fired up about it, it's uh uh, you know, people see these weight loss stories of somebody who's like type two diabetic and they're hundred pounds overweight and they lose all this weight, uh, going low carb. And that's fantastic. But then you have these people rolling into the CrossFit scene or MMA or, you know, something that's pretty glycolytically demanding, pretty glycogen demanding. And they're at like 10% body fat and they want to be 5% body fat. And they're like, well, if I go zero carb and I do CrossFit six days a week, then this will be great. And it's like, yeah, it'll be great for the functional medicine doc that needs to repair your adrenals and testosterone levels and everything else because you're going to be a smoldering slag heap. So in the, you know, John and I, I, I think we mapped this, and you know, every part of this map, we've been there and kind of sniffed around and nosed around. And I, I feel like we've got a pretty good rubric for like okay if a doesn't work then we'll go to b if b doesn't work then we'll go to c and we're able to kind of rattle people into a pretty good spot you know the uh and you know what rob's already talking about is i think people want this one size fits all approach and you know hey i just want this program i want this extreme diet i want this and i want to follow these to the letter and i want to and i want the results at the end of the rainbow and the problem is where this uh, organic decaying matter and unfortunately there's no no such thing as a one size fits all approach and I, i think that's what's really cool especially with like the field strong stuff for example where you know you bring in this general's program and here's a guy like rob who's following a, a version of field strong but he does his jujitsu and robs you know in terms of 
recovery robs a little or uh, robs on the on the small monkey side where you know he can handle intensity but too much volume fries him so we write a program that you know is dose related and really you know very uh you know specific in the amount of volume he gets and it allows him to push his intensity and he just you know mixes it up with a lot of his uh you know sports specific jiu-jitsu training and that's really what he wants to be good at so we had to design a program that fit around his needs instead of being like hey i'm just gonna fucking randomly train for stuff no like rob is a very specific athlete and um like you said you know a high school state powerlifting champ i mean obviously extremely <laughs> extremely fast twitch i mean you got a 170 pound guy that's training a couple days a week who's not a you know not a you know powerlifting athlete anymore more of a jiu-jitsu guy now and he's doing you know what would you say 420 for a triple uh, yeah. like a fast triple on the back 425. squat 425 so uh, you know rob is extremely fast twitch and anytime we've ever trained and ever worked together i mean you know uh, you know you look at and we, we talked about this a little yesterday on our uh, round table that to be good at something like crossfit you have to have a conversion of fast switch slow twitch fibers just to survive a longer type deal i mean you can't bring somebody in that's predominantly fast twitch and put them into a crossfit deal and not expect them to implode themselves so um you know but you know, then does that really pay dividends for certain sports? And you can kind of start looking at this stuff about, you know, obviously building an aerobic capacity, GPP, SPP, and you kind of start building all these pyramids. But, uh, you know, it ultimately comes down to what is working for your athlete, what's going to specifically work for Rob Wolf as a unique individual, what program works for him, what fits within his demands. I mean, he's also a dad. He's got another kid lit on the way, which, you know, I'm telling you, man, it all changes after number two. So, um, but dude, it all changed after number one. That almost killed me. I, I when Nikki <laughs> told me she wanted a second kid and a dog, I'm like, so did you double my life insurance and you're just trying to kill me? Like, what kind of dog did you get? Whoa, 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 whoa! What kind of dog did you guys get? Oh no, I I told her that we we're not. I, I said if you want a, a dog also in this mix, that's with the other husband. That's with your next <laughs> husband. I, I basically drew the line at that. I, I, that was all I could do, and then. The cat ended up being a little bit of a disaster too. The cat pisses all over the house, so it's amazing. So oh, you, you got another gato, new gato. We have a new one for about a year. Yeah. Oh, oh wow. Yeah, Long live yeah. Keystone's memory, though. Yes. <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you. I, I think uh, if I could go back, I would have just had dogs. The dogs are way easier than the kid. I mean, <laughs> fucking just lock Louie up in the crate, or you know, he goes outside and walks around outside in the backyard, whereas the kids are, you know, this morning at you know, 545 uh, in our bathroom, opening and closing the door, like like cracking it one inch and then slamming it, opening and cracking it. And finally, I was like, stop opening and closing the door. Yeah, Louie's great. He shits on the turf every time he comes here. So <laughs> That's a lot better than shitting on in a diaper and then yeah. having to clean that thing up. I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll bring in one of those presents one time. <laughs> Denny's no, got yeah, like, yeah, bring it, bring it when it, it's just been overloaded because you, you you're gambling. You're like, okay, the diaper's full of piss. But she took shit this morning, so I think we've got a window of time here. I'm, I'm cool. I'll just do one more stop, and then I'll change the diaper in the back of the rig. And then that was a tactical error, and uh, <laughs> you basically got shit from the back of their head all the way to their their uh, shoelaces. It's in the car seat. Yeah. Oh, oh my god. Uh, is uh, is Zoe potty trained right now? Oh, that no. Is, uh, <laughs> 
You know, it's funny, like, I honestly think that she could probably do differential calculus right now, but she's just like, yeah, I am completely uninterested in potty training. Like, I, I, she, I've sat down on her little blue, you know, uh, uh, little girl potty, and I've taken a dump, and I've taken a piss, and we've taken that stuff and dump it in the toilet and everything, and she's like, yeah, that's great. I'm, I'm good, though. I don't want to do it. I and think like, it's a it's a power move. I mean, it's this totally is her. That, that's what our, our PD. <laughs> uh, yeah. You know, the uh, uh, Killy was hilarious. Uh, like when we started, like like the first day we even really like entertained and sort of like got her own potty and kind of looked at it. She was more just enamored by the fact that she would get to wear undies. So we had this book that was like, you know, big girl panties. Uh, yeah, big girl panties. So yeah, we're reading her yeah. big, big girl panties, the the book. <laughs> and Killy like looked at it and saw the panties, and she like looked at all of them and was like. I'm in. And uh, that was the end of it. Like, literally, it was like from that day <laughs> forward, it was like, I want to wear underwear. I don't want to, you know, these are way cooler than the diaper. Whereas Jamie kind of fought it a little bit, but then I think uh, Killy kind of shamed her into it a little bit. So, <laughs> yeah, we're, we're hoping that with the arrival of the second kid that we'll be able to uh, shame Zoe a little bit. Like, yeah, diapers are really dirty and they're for babies. And uh, we'll work that thing. I don't know, man. Oh, no, we'll see. Is uh, she it, she's talking pretty well and like, you know, holding conversations and just yeah, she's, she's talking, you know, it's kind of crazy. Uh, uh, so Big Girl Panties is actually reasonably fun to read. You get some other books that are horrible to read. And uh, uh, somebody bought her this like uh, Walt Disney storybook deal. But it also has this little tablet that's this interactive thing where she pushes different icons on it. And it, it's supposed to work interactively with the book. It's a little bit advanced for her, but reading the book without the tablet sucks like it's just so moronic you're just like oh my god i'm gonna die but um it has you know just uh, a bunch of different pictures uh, they're kind of color coded or whatever but the other day i was just looking at this thing i'm like okay how do i make this fun for me and so i there's a bunch <laughs> of pictures on the page and i asked zoe i'm like hey zoe what's hot on that page that we would want to be careful with and she pointed to a cup of coffee she's all coffee hot and i'm all wow and then uh Gosh, there were a couple of things like that. Um, uh, uh, there was a picture of a doghouse. And I'm like, so it, with about 18 other things on this paper. But I was like, so we, where would the gato like to sleep? And she's all, the doghouse. And and I was just, it was really interesting. It's contextual stuff, you know, and, and she's like 26 months old. And I don't know anything about child development. But um, like the contextual understanding that she had for a bunch of this stuff. I was like, Zoe, if the ground was hot, what would you want on this page? And she's all, shoes. Oh wow! And did you ask her? So why are you still shitting your pants? But, uh, no, I, I didn't. I didn't take that leap. Actually, ah. uh, uh, apparently, <laughs> apparently <That's> pushing, my... <laughs> pushing, uh, apparently pushing the potty training thing too yes. hard can can cause kids to really hunker in. And so we've been taking a pretty light approach with that. The closest that I've gotten with this is that I, I told Zoe, I'm like, hey, if you sit down and go potty, I'll give you some chocolate. We we give her some ninety percent dark chocolate. And she sat down there, and uh, but she refused to take her diaper off. So she sat down with the diaper on, and then proceeded to take a dump. And, yeah. And she fully, it was like, oh, okay, so you're going to be a lawyer and a physicist. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Dude, Rob, I, I was laughing your story about uh, the ad on Facebook where you're like, you know, <laughs> we feed this kid, you know, this like killer diet. And we gave her like a cookie on Christmas, and like six months later, she's still asking for the cookie. <laughs> we, uh, on, I think it was Sunday, we, we drove up to LA to go to some uh, place to, of course, like look at some patio furniture, which is exactly what every guy wants to do on a, Saturday, on a Sunday, totally. on, you know, drive up to LA and look at patio furniture. 
And, uh, you know, on the way up there, the kids were, you know, in the back and they were doing pretty good. And I saw, I was like, Hey, you know what? Like there's a really killer gluten-free bakery, uh, up near this place. So let's go up there and we'll get them something. So we pull up and it's pretty like small little spot. So Kate's like, we'll just go in and get them something. So I come in, I get them, uh, was it like a, a carrot cake cupcake and, and like a brownie. So I come out and it's got this killer cream cheese frosting and it's like this, you know, like really like, uh, like pretty renowned place up in LA and like the kids kind of like are looking at it and they're like, what is that? And I like, I break them off and start doing it, uh, giving it to them. Uh, what's today? Today is Thursday. Every single day there were like brownies, cupcake, brownies, <laughs> cupcake. Like it's like, uh, like I, I saw Jamie or Jamie got this morning and I was, she's like, dad, dad, can we have cupcakes today? Right. You know, right. it's like it's like this this very real thing of being like, I think we should have brownies for breakfast. And I'm like, <laughs> like, like these kids eat like, you know, uh, like killer grass fed steaks. I mean, this like insane lunch Kate makes. I mean, like I look at all the food they eat and it doesn't matter. It was it come down to like cupcakes and brownies and like, you know, like uh, for our birthday, we would like to have those cupcakes. I'm like, when's your birthday? They're like October 6th and we're going to have those brownies. Right. <laughs> I'm like. Oh, it's God. like a heroin ad. and you know yeah. my whole point when i when i did that post it was it was actually um in a way it was kind of absolving people of the responsibility and the guilt of shitty food like this was kind of what i was driving at it which was you get these hyper palatable foods like if you follow stefan guinet or or some of these these folks that are in like the the food reward kind of uh, pathway, you know, a view of like overeating and stuff like that. It, it was kind of absolving people responsibility. It's like, hey, you know, we evolved eating these foods. These other foods are novel and they can send a signal to the brain that just completely overwhelms what we're used to. And look at how this manifests in my my kid. And I thought that this was really insightful. And it, it, it would kind of absolve people this responsibility. The fucking response I got on my Facebook page and it, I'll, I'll go ahead and say it on here, and, and uh, people will burn me at the stake, or maybe we'll burn you guys at the stake because it's your show. But it was all of the overweight women got on there and were just chewing on me, and they're like, "Well, she she's not attached to the cookies because of hyperpalatability. It was it was because of Santa, you know, uh, uh, Santa Claus and Christmas and all the nostalgia associated with that. She's fucking a year old." Her brain is not that developed. You don't have nostalgia yet. You don't have the good old days that you reminisce about, you know. And it, it, I was just like, Jesus Christ, you people are morons. Like, I'm, I'm trying to get you to get out of jail free card for like feeling like a, a bastard or some sort of failure because you're addicted to these foods, and then you actually turn it around and and make me want to hate you. <laughs> so it was, it was incredible, man. Oh, I, well, I, I know. Like I saw the post and I commented and I was like, ah, you know, I've, I've seen it in my own kids. I mean, we, we talk about it like the, uh, and you know what, like that nostalgia thing kind of makes a little bit of sense too, but like, obviously not for that. Cause the, uh, we went out for Mexican food the other day. And as we were in the, the, the little taco place, like picking up tacos, they had like behind the counter in a glass thing, they had like the, uh, the Cokes and like the, and like the Echo and Medico Cokes, like the, the Mexican Coke, like the, like the real syrup. Right, and I, I saw them, and I was like, "Oh God, those were so good!" Because I remember back in you know when we'd go to Mexico when I was a kid, like uh, on vacation back when like Mexico was actually you know kind of safe and fun and like actually like a cheap vacation. Uh, we'd go down there, and you know, you'd fucking a quarter for one of those things, and we'd slam like seven of them at dinner, you know. And uh, but man, they were pretty good. And I saw those, and I was like, "Man, those things are so good." I'm like, "Too bad my kids will never know what the Mexican Coke tastes like." At least not, at least not on my deal. 
And on, on the drive home, I saw my brother, I called my brother. I was like, dude, you remember those Mexican Cokes? He's like, oh my God. He goes, I see him now. And I like, so he, he bought one for, uh, for my nephew. And he's like, uh, my, my nephew Luke was drinking and she's, he's like, dad you used to drink these things. He's like your brother, John and I used to crush these things when we did, you know, but, um, I, it, that, that post kind of blew me away a little bit in that I was so surprised at how people responded to it, where it's like, hey, dude, uh, you know, there's a definite connection between serotonin and, and uh, you know, the pleasure senses and, I mean, uh, you know, and like this type of sugar. And, and, and frankly, this shit does taste good. I, I really wish I could yeah. pull a Lalonde and be like, it tastes terrible. You're like, Lawan, F you. You know it tastes good. Just fucking admit it, you know? Like, you know, like like between consuming 27 duck eggs and having a cookie, like, are you telling me the duck eggs are better? Oh, these, this 100% chocolate is way too sweet for me. I'm like, he says shit like that. I'm like, Lawan, I just want to punch you in the face because that stuff does not taste sweet. Oh, so. man. It, it was funny, though. I was trying to de-emotionalize food, and then people drug it right into, like, the emotional, you know, uh, uh, slaughterhouse sewer gutter whatever like the the the, the dante's eighth level of hell of, <laughs> of emotionality and i'm just like okay fuck you assholes like i i just you, you can't you, you just never win you just well, never win and, trying to help people and you never win like it seems like as much good as you do there's always somebody to fry you at the stake and there was probably somebody oh, on there that was like you should be ashamed of yourself feeding your child that knowing what it can do and you're like Oh God. So what am I supposed to do? Like lock my kid in a fucking cave somewhere and feed them nuts and berries for the rest of their life. I mean, at some point they're going to go out like, um, poor Kate, like they, yesterday at school, they had a deal for the girls where they were going to make trail mix at their school. So, you know, the kids are obviously, uh, you know, gluten-free. So the teacher calls and it's like, Hey, the kids are going to make trail mix. Can you bring in some not, you know, gluten-free, uh, corn checks or something or rice checks? <laughs> So like poor Kate goes and buys all this like organic stuff and like brings in like the chocolate chips and you know goes and brings it in. And so she goes back to pick it up and uh, they made the trail mix with all her stuff and they didn't like make any of the trail mix with all the other stuff the parents brought. So I was like, hey, Kate, I was like, I just bring home a trail mix and stuff look awesome. She's like, no, they ate all of her trail mix. Uh, I was like, what about the other people? She's like, no, it was still sitting there. You know, the teachers probably saw it. They were like, oh, look at this all organic gluten-free stuff let's let's eat this stuff and they made all that and that's what the kids ate so i'm like you know i'm like great let's buy more trail mix but uh so uh is there any denny is there any power athlete question that we have the genius the brain the high school state powerlifting champion in the state of california on (laughs) that we need to know and i know you know it oh yeah i mean I, i i was thinking a little bit about it and i'm sure right now one of our three listeners is thinking to himself Summer is coming. I want to lean out and lose body fat, but I, I, I only sleep two hours a night. I don't, I don't want to eat any carbs, and I trade 14 times a week. Um, and my diet's really not that good. I smoke cigarettes. John, I'm right here. <laughs> I can hear you. I can hear you. That's hurtful. Yeah, yeah, it's a hurtful. Well, Kelly's on the 800 calorie a day diet. And, um, <laughs> that is not true. That's that yeah, that's that's actually not true. I eat more than these guys here because they actually are trying to lean out. Meanwhile, I'm just trying to bulk up. Jumping the frog, honey. Kelly did a, a body uh, like this doesn't happen on accident, people. <laughs> Kelly's actually rocking some pretty impressive Daisy Dukes today, <laughs> except it looks like she stole some guys' jeans because they're actually baggy Daisy Dukes, which I've never seen before. She's <laughs> 
Well, I know. I'm, <laughs> I can't help it. It's like me buying a bigger shirt and I'm like, I'll grow into it. I'll Thanks for it. noticing. <laughs> you, you see, the, uh, she's actually competing with Chelsea for uh, in Daisy Duke department. Yeah. We're we're competing for quad space here, yeah. actually. Well, uh, actually, Chelsea tried to steal uh, Killy's shorts to return to the Daisy Dukes, but I, I wouldn't let her cut them up. Yeah, can't believe it. Chelsea wears the tightest clothes I've ever seen. I think you're just looking at my shorts and comparing them to what you know and you've seen on Chelsea. And Chelsea, like you can't. I don't even understand how she puts them on. Well, yeah, with you, Crisco, you got to slip into those things. <laughs> anyway, this this was not pertaining to any of the questions from Pat. Okay. So, so yeah, so let's <laughs> let's get into this thing. Uh, <laughs> so, Rob, I sleep two hours a night. I mean, and and I know you, you've you've heard these questions. I mean, there was a guy on our forums last night that was like, you know, hey, I'm really intrigued. Like the power athlete stuff is great. Um, having a kid, uh, I have some time, but I don't really have time to sleep. And I remember I like looked at that question. I was like, um, I didn't really understand sleep deprivation and the negative effects of training, uh, physique, health, and just all around mental well-being until I had uh, the twins and only slept for no more than 45 minutes for three months at any one point. And uh, like whenever people ask me about it, my always deal for expecting fathers is the same thing, Rob. It's, sleep is almost more important than getting your workout in. Like the last thing you want to do is be fucking totally sleep deprived and then go in and torch yourself in the weight room. Yeah. And I mean, you know, uh, uh, it was kind of ironic <clears throat> as a gym owner that, uh, pretty quickly I figured out that the food and the sleep and the lifestyle was where the money was and that the exercise was actually just smoke and mirrors and the, the, it, almost like the Pavlovian deal to keep the person to come back. <laughs> it, it had almost nothing to do with, with what their, their goals were. I mean, clearly it does at some point, but um, the, man, the, you know, I saw this observationally, it, it, particularly again, within the CrossFit scene, um, because there was a, a big, you know, cross-section of police, military, fire, and I would just get this same email again and again and again. It's like, hey, I eat a perfectly weighed, measured, paleo zone deal, a three-on-one-off, um, blah, 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 and I can't lean out. And my question back to him was like, are you police, military, or fire? And like 85, 90% of the time, they're like, oh, okay, well, I'm, I'm this, that, or the other. And I'm like, okay, as long as you're doing shift work and your sleep's fucked up, then you're your lost cause pretty much. And then if it wasn't that, then I would ask, when did the new baby arrive? And then, and, it, and then that was like the hundred percent deal. I, I, it never wasn't a, a sleep related issue with, with these folks that were otherwise like getting after the training pretty good. And they weren't doing something patently moronic with their food, like going way too low carb or, or I, I see that you guys have a bulletproof coffee deal uh, here a little bit later, you know, doing something completely moronic. Um, then it was sleep and it, it's, uh, you know, can you, can you just put into like layman's terms, why sleep is so important? What, what effect it has on metabolism? Oh God, it, you know, it has, uh, so it's <laughs> some interesting studies. You can use this thing called a microarray, which basically maps the way that genes are turned on and off in your body. And with one night of short sleep, you alter the expression of about 700 different genes. In, define, in, in, define short sleep. Like waking up with, if you, you should go to bed, go to bed and wake up without an alarm, feel rest. Okay. If you wake up with an alarm, 
if you're uh, uh, disturbed sleep throughout the night, you know, you're waking up with rapid heart rate and, you know, night sweats and all that because your adrenals are totally cooked, then uh, we, we've got problems. So it's basically, you know, ideally you go to bed kind of early, you wake up early-ish. Um, teenagers are a little bit of an exception with that because their circadian rhythm actually actually alters so that they're legitimately going to bed at like 12 o'clock or 1 o'clock and at uh, 12, you know, at midnight or 1 a.m., getting up later but otherwise most people are are you know a little bit more tied into uh photo period and sunlight exposure but when you don't sleep you don't um uh, aggregate your memories you don't clean out the the toxic junk that builds up in your your brain uh you become insulin resistant your gut microbiome gets messed up uh it's a really what what short sleep is when you look at all of the effects of aging Short uh, being short slept is is a a uh, micro dose of accelerated aging. Everything that you see with aging, loss of muscle mass, loss of immune function, loss of memory, uh, pro-inflammatory, loss of insulin signaling. That's what you're doing when you short sleep yourself. I remember uh, when we really got into this whole sleep deal and we started kind of going down this path. And I think Rob and I really saw it on the first hand because we both had kids about the same time. Like I remember uh, calling Rob after. Like, I think it was probably about two or three months in when the girls like had just started sleeping through the night and it was kind of like normalizing a little bit. I remember I like sat back in my chair and I leaned back and all of a sudden the bar or the chair cut in and I was like, what the fuck is this on my back? And it was actually back fat. And I called Rob and I was like, dude, I was like, I I never had back I like, like, where did this come from? Was it like, near your brow line? Yeah, it was like right like there. <laughs> I was right, right, yeah, right. Oh, yeah, Kelly, Kelly, obviously has That's my sleeping. lat. That's don't hurt your hand. That's right? my lat. And uh, I remember being like, "What the fuck is that?" I called Robbie, and I was like, "Robbie, I, uh, I got this back fat," and he's like, "Welcome to fatherhood." <laughs> and so we were laughing. He's like, "I got it too." And it was one of those deals where, uh, you know, the sleep deprivation really kind of uh, played really interesting tricks on some stuff. And it's, uh, you know, as we started kind of going down this path and started really researching sleep. Um, you know, his deal, what he just said about the controlled aging is really became the, the, the dividing factor. And I think people really uh, under realize and I know when uh, I went and worked with Dr. Jin and really talked to him about it and that ability to sleep within the circadian rhythm, you know, get to bed before, you know, in bed before 930 and sleep and then have like a, un, you know, uninterrupted deal. And I know for me personally, uh, what has done worlds of difference for my sleep was uh, sleeping with a mouthpiece. So I actually had a mouthpiece made and uh, it actually puts my jaw in a more neutral position. And like, I go from like, not even waking up, like waking up perfectly rested, having a complete sleep to like all of a sudden waking up a couple times a night, jaw clicking and problems. So as I started kind of researching a little bit of that, like people that have obviously had some, you know, jaw trauma or, you know, have TMJ or different things run into some issues with sleep and you know, it's, it's, it's pretty fascinating just the, the performance stuff. And I remember, um, a couple of years ago when I was, uh, went to go do the talk at AHS, uh, out in uh, Boston, um, I think this was two years ago. I, I gave a, a talk on food and performance and it was really just the kind of early power athlete stuff I'd done with AJ Roberts and also a, a talk that I'd had with, uh, Stan Efferding who Stan at the time, uh, was, uh, or is a, uh, uh, you know, pro bodybuilder and held the world record in raw powerlifting. I mean, super strong dude. And I remember, uh, rapping with him a little bit about his diet and, you know, coconut oil and how he kind of schemed his diet. And the biggest one he said is it's, uh, sleep is, is my biggest uh, weapon. I was like, well, how much do you sleep? And he's like, honestly, you guys, I try to get somewhere like 14 to 16 hours a day. 
um, of sleeping. He goes, when I was training and he goes at my most muscular, when I, um, you know, he went out and trained with Flex Wheeler and, uh, you know, basically went and lived with Flex Wheeler and Flex got him ready to win, uh, for, to win his pro card. And he goes, literally they would hit the gym and like start warming up. And like, after they got done warming up, they had 45 minutes to get their workout in. After that 45 minutes was done, they would go eat and go to sleep and then, you know, sleep for three hours, come back. And it was like no more than 40 to six, 45 to 60 minutes. Uh, and they, they tried to sleep like 14 to 16 hours. And so when I was talking with them, I was like, this guy's a fucking lion. Like, yeah. Like, I mean, you know, I, and then I like, I, I made that kind of connection in my head and I was like, and if you look at the dude, he looks like a fucking lion. I mean, they call him the white rhino because the dude is, you know, fucking super jacked and super strong. And, uh, you know, his ability to like be able to sleep that much. And I remember being like, dude, I don't know how I, I mean, you know, you need to get fired or divorced. You got to be independently wealthy and, you know, not be married to be able to sleep that many hours. But there is an example where the guy, you know, eats perfect, super strong and was putting in logging so many hours. And then as I went back in time, I started remembering when, uh, I got injured and tore my patellar tendon in 99. Um, you know, I rehabbed that whole year. And then that off season, I remember I said, when I started working with Dr. David Squall and Mara was like, you know, Hey, I want you to train twice a day and I want you to sleep as much as humanly possible. And I think I was sleeping, you know, like I'd sleep 12 hours and I was, you know, probably taking another, you know, two naps that were about you know 90 minutes. And, uh, it's probably one of the biggest and strongest I've ever been. So, I mean, there's definite performance gains and I think people really underestimate sleep as a, you know, performance enhancing and just, you know, really for sanity and everything else. So, it's uh unfortunately it's one of those things that people are like oh you know I'll sleep when I'm dead and I did I, I had that same attitude you know oh yeah I mean I don't need sleep I'm, I'm too tough for that stuff and and now I realize that you know sleep is probably the the, the last frontier that we're just starting to understand the, the performance it, 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 it shouldn't be it should be as hard to sell sleep as it is to sell sex like it should not be a hard sell at all but it, it really really is. And it, 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 you know, for a return on investment kind of gig, I, I just can't, can't find too many things that, that will trump it ever. And uh, Doc Parsley has some great stuff, uh, uh, you know, where they'll, they'll get computer programmers, um, they're writing lines of code, and they're looking at the error rate, you know, so how productive are you and how much error rate is associated with that. And they will short sleep these people like an hour a night. And then by the fourth or fifth day of doing this, these people are literally 50% less productive versus if they just slept more. So people start, you know, they think, well, I'll just short sleep here. I'll do this. I'll do that. Um, it, and uh, I'll be more productive. I'll get something done. And clearly like deadlines, you know, pop up and you have to get projects done and everything, but, it, and you have to sacrifice sleep for that. But uh, it, on a day, day in day out basis, if you want to be more productive, just sleep more and then work less because the time that you spend working will actually be productive. That's one of the kind of goofy things about the standard like eight hour workday where you just have to clock in versus like getting paid based off of like what you actually get done. Like if people were well rested and they could get done in two hours, what they normally get done in eight hours and they could get the fuck out of Dodge and go live the rest of their life. And, and uh, you know, it would be pretty good. So it, and uh, there's good argument for trying to do stuff like that. Productivity. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> wow. No, it's, uh, well, I, you know, and I, I always think about it too. Like, uh, you know, I'm sure you guys follow different people on Twitter and Instagram and I always follow the rock on uh, Instagram and he's always got these <laughs> pictures, you know, we always do the rocks like our, you our, mean Hercules? our, our mascot for power athlete HQ. 
we're pretty soon at some point we're going to get the rock on our podcast and i think that's when we when we'll reach nirvana i'm working on it uh but it's always like yeah i'm, I'm in the gym just just getting it going at 3 30 in the morning and you're <laughs> like fuck you he's like or, sleeping's for babies yeah yeah and then the uh like they're like there's I, there's, there's another guy i follow on uh on twitter instagram who, Cal, who cali's a big fan of and the guy's like, yeah, in the gym, just getting it pumping. <laughs> Already got the cardio done, ready to start banging weights, and it's 4.30 in the morning. And I'm like, <sighs> like, like I, I always look at these guys, and I'm all, fuck you. I'm like, you know, you know what time? For me to be in the gym by 4.30 in the morning, I'd have to be up at 4. That means I'd have to be in bed by, like, 7.30 to 8 o'clock. So I pretty much have to be in bed at the same time my kids are, which would make it extremely hard to get anything done later on. So I always see that stuff and it's like, oh yeah, sleeps for the week, you know. They're uh, making they're making time to tweet, that's for sure. No, what, what I'm pretty sure they're doing is they're taking pictures at like four or five o'clock at night and they're like, yeah, it's 4.30 in the morning. I'm like, there's no way, dude. I, I was like, I and, and I remember in college when uh, we used to, you know, our training started at six in the morning and we were up at five and we had to be there at like, you know, and everybody's done that. I mean, I remember for years and, you know, training at six, it's like, like the quality of your work is just so much better when you can, you know, cause ultimately even if you're training at six and you're, uh, you know, live a normal life, you're still going to be going to bed at 11 or 12. It's just getting those extra few hours is such a difference. Here's an interesting thing that actually, uh, threw to me a couple of days ago, apparently in the 18 and, and 1900s, um, the schools in the United States started typically around nine or nine thirty AM, whereas European schools started about seven thirty AM. And that was because the, the more industrialized European countries, they had to cater to the work schedule that these people had, which is much what we do with our, our kids' schedules today and school schedules and whatnot. But there was something like a 30-point IQ spread between the United States students and the European students. And, this, and somebody at the time had written about this stuff, like they had researched the sleep a little bit. And they said, so long as we always start our schools later, in other country schools, we will always have a cognitive advantage on these people. And then we, we basically wow. stuff that around is, for our, our schedule. It's really, really interesting. That is quite the absolute. Oh. And, and uh, uh, you know, and Parsley made this point that like for, for most kids, um, expecting them to be on point at like 7.30 or 8 a.m., you know, and expecting them to like learn and 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 just just basically be, you know, have all cylinders firing would be like expecting us to be firing on all, all cylinders at like 3.30 or 4.30 a.m. You would think Californians would be more productive then because they don't start until around 10.30, 11, and then they really? leave, okay. they leave around two. <laughs> uh, but the, the other one I love, which, which will throw the ninja blow dart into this one, is as a kid in school, uh, I used to get in trouble because I used to fall asleep in that first period and I used to always like feel really sluggish going to school and real tired and I remember uh, it was after working with Rob uh, and getting my blood work done and I remember the first time I talked to Rob I was like we started talking about gluten and all that I was like oh yeah I got a, a, a real bad allergy to that stuff I've known that for years I get tested and so we started kind of talking a little bit and I remember when I first got my blood work done by uh, by Yankee um, he was like, oh, you're super allergic to gluten. And he kind of like laid out, it was like soy corn or corn. And he kind of went through this whole deal. And I was like, oh, allergies. I was like, well, how would I know I was allergic to him? He's like, when you eat those foods, do you get real tired or have to go to the bathroom or feel sick? And like instantly it was like one of those movies where you like mentally time portal back to like 
<laughs> like fourth grade where you're like sitting in like first class, like first period class and you're just like confiding to keep your eyes open and you're like, oh God, I'm so tired. What's wrong? You know, I felt great when I got up this morning and now I'm so tired I can't even listen. And you think it's just like school sucking the life out of you. But and then all of a sudden, you with gluten, all I of think? a sudden I go back to like 30 minutes before that as my dad's like, you got to start every day with whole grains as he would pour <laughs> this like monster bowl of grape nuts in like uh milk and then cover and then of course cover it with non-fat milk because you know you don't want extra fat because that'll be bad for you and uh having this like oh and then you know what's even better i'm gonna cut this whole banana of slices on top and there i am with this like massive two cups of grape nuts uh, a cut up banana and probably a pint of non-fat milk and that was my breakfast and then like as i like all of a sudden time portal back in my brain and i'm like fuck i'm like no wonder i was sound asleep i'm like dude you're totally just fucking overloaded uh you know pack me full of carbs and sugar and then i'm in a total insulin uh, uh diabetic coma crash in first period and on top of it i'm already allergic to the stuff so i remember calling my dad up i was like yeah you and your whole grains <laughs> enough on that one so yeah that's uh and then my dad i remember like talking to him later he's like how did i know they said it was you know nutritious you know you see all the boxes i'm like oh god like that's how I, I'm like. So you don't think America's been lying to us for all these years? Jeez, dude. Lucky, lucky uh, weren't doctors at some point paid to endorse Lucky Strikes cigarettes? <laughs> yes. Like most doctors, uh, uh, most doctors surveyed prefer Lucky Strikes. So. Yeah. Well, the the other one too, and I remember Rob and I, you know, talking about this food for performance, and uh, you know, we kind of started kind of going down this road, and then Rob made a funny comment. He's like, "Well, John, uh, you ate." Uh, your dad basically pumped you full of grape nuts and cereal every morning and uh, ate this kind of traditional higher carb diet like deal and you still got to go play in the NFL. Yeah. So, you know, I was like, you're right. So what you're saying is that you can, you know, if the genetics are good enough, you can fucking out genetics and stuff. I'm like, well, there could have been an easier way to do it. He's like, yeah, it definitely was. And I remember those were some of our early conversations. But uh, yeah, to this day, I still, every time I see my dad, I'm like, huh, whole grains. <laughs> Hey, Denny, did we yeah. have a question on fish oil and CLAs? Well, you know what? That goes back to like an email thread between um, Steve and myself. And well, I was on it. It was actually between Steve and John. And then John reached out to Rob. But Steve had had asked John like he at the time he would Steve was just like heavily dosed on fish oil and then just ran out, didn't didn't go get some more. And it, he felt that his joints actually started feeling better. Um, and then in that communication, he had asked John, like, is this common? Um, you know, is there a different route I can take? And then it looked like John referred that email to Rob. And Rob, you kind of replied saying that there was some, um, like, studies with CLAs kind of versus fish oil. But at, you know, we're talking that email could have been a year ago. Um, there didn't seem to be enough like data to kind of support if that was true or not. And I was curious if you had, um, since then, have you seen anything that kind of support that or, um, has your opinion changed on that CLA's benefits, um, versus like fish oil benefits? Well, I mean, it, it's two totally different, different things in a, in a lot of ways. So, it, it, you know, with the, it, the CLA is kind of working on that omega-6 um, uh, arachidonic acid family of, of fats. It's interesting. You get CLA a lot from uh, grass-fed dairy and from grass-fed meat. So it, it and, uh, 
has some anti-tumor properties, has some uh, uh, kind of uh, muscle building uh, anabolic properties. It's really interesting. There's nine different isomers within that, that uh, conjugated linoleic acid family. So certain isomers are biologically active and have some benefit. Others don't really do all that much of anything, but two very different stories versus the, the fish oil thing. And, you know, again, this is where um, you try to take the best information that you have at the time and run with it. And when, when I was working on my book, uh, looking around at, at different studies, it seemed like pretty high dose fish oil was beneficial. Um, Barry Sears was a big fan of fish oil. I was trying to, as much as possible, stay in the good graces of my current employers at, at that time. So as much uh, uh, bone as I could throw towards Barry Sears was good. So I, you know, uh, high dose fish oil seemed like a, a good thing. And then um, uh, the, the Kraken and uh, uh, some other folks, we started really sitting down and looking at the rate at which you can actually add these fatty acids to your cell membranes and how they can get incorporated into your body. And there was really a significant rate limiting step due to a particular enzyme. And it, it, if you, it, even if you're at someone John's size, like doing more than about four to five grams of EPA DHA per day, wasn't really gonna do all that much other than pump that stuff straight into your mitochondria and be used as, as a, highly uh, reactive oxygen species generating fuel, basically like a pro-oxidant kind of story. And, and so, uh, you know, initially I, I recommended pretty high dose fish oil. Now I've really uh, modified that down somewhere between the two to four grams a, a day deal. If you're generally doing grass-fed meat and eating some wild-caught fish and, and you're not doing like tons and tons of, of poor quality fats from like, uh, you know, uh, canola oil salad dressing and stuff like that, you may not really need to supplement at all. And because these, uh, you know, the uh, EPA in particular modifies all of the, uh, you know, the prostaglandin and these pro-inflammatory pathways uh, out of the delta six desaturase kind of kind of uh, 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 metabolic pathway, it can affect inflammation in just wacky ways. There, there's some pretty good studies indicating that uh, fish oil supplementation in folks with uh, uh, colitis it may actually make it worse. And and so it, it's really important again, like like John talked about, just with uh, programming, it's really important to take some basic uh, ideas about mechanism and maybe use that as a starting point, but then just take each person individually and look at the way that they actually respond to a protocol. So the, the reduction in fish oil um, reducing joint inflammation isn't at all surprising because maybe uh, this person was getting enough dietarily and there wasn't an imbalance there. And then as far as the CLAs go, they're, they're, you know, there's some data that suggests that CLA is beneficial from an anti-tumor standpoint, some immune, immunomodulatory standpoints, and also helping with muscle accretion. But it, it's, uh, uh, you know, again, if you're getting grass-fed meat, doing some grass-fed dairy, if you tolerate the grass-fed dairy, then you're probably getting significant amounts of CLA from that. And I don't know that you would really need to supplement. We had a guy at our seminar a couple of years ago that, um, you know, and, and, you know, just like everything else, uh, people see one thing and they kind of fucking take it to the extreme. And, you know, Rob uh, at the time had that kind of fish oil calculator out there, which everybody kind of ran with. And of course, you know, at the end spectrum, it was like, if you were sick, metabolically broken, deranged, I mean, all of this, like at most you should be taking X and it was like, you know, whatever it was, we had a guy come to our seminar that was like, yeah, I'm taking 30 grams of fish oil a day. Do you think that's bad? And I was like, <laughs> uh, how's that working out for you? And he's like, well, you know, uh, 
I had a deal where I was uh, actually getting ready the other day and I nicked myself shaving and I had to go to the ER because I almost fucking bled out. And I was like, well, yeah, it, uh, it's a blood thinner. So technically, uh, you know, you were just like, you know, snorting aspirin all day. And the guy was like, yeah, I, I got kind of nervous. I, I mean, they couldn't get it to clot. I, I literally was nervous and they had to, you know, go to some pretty aggressive steps and they, you know, glued it shut. And he's like, yeah, I, uh, I cut that back. I was like, oh, well, well, at least you learn from your mistakes. But, uh, you know, I was like, anytime you see like the most extreme stuff and, you know, and that's a problem we run into, especially in this, uh, you know, whether it be the kind of paleo scene, CrossFit scene, or really anything is you, you get a lot of type A personalities. And usually the type A personalities are either the early adopters or the first ones to fucking spin out. So you see like a lot of early adopters that are kind of type A and, you know, just you know, and this becomes a lot of the danger too when you start, you know, writing, uh, you know, a lot of this, you know, random programming stuff. You put Type A personalities, like for example, you bring like a, a bunch of military guys and you show them something like a SEAL fit, and they're like, "Great, I'm going to do SEAL fit three times a day because that's you know going to be the most challenging thing I can do, and on the weekends I'm going to run 100 miles." And then they wonder why they implode after a short period of time, and it's like you can't always put. Uh, you know, that type A personality, it's, you know, that's going to go and gravitate towards the most difficult stuff. Uh, you just almost have to kind of protect them some from themselves. And I remember, um, you know, Rob and I have both worked a lot with the military and we've worked a lot with Naval Special Warfare. And, uh, you know, my talk for those guys was like, you know, I always give the analogy of Robin Williams and uh, uh, Matt Damon at Goodwill Hunting, where he like puts his arm around him. He's like, it's not your fault, Will. And he's like, not you. And he starts crying. I'm like, it's not your guys' fault. <laughs> You know, like I'm Robin Williams, you guys are, are will hunting and I'm telling you, it's not your fault. This is who you guys are. This is the personality type that's allowed you to be successful at your job. The problem is now you need somebody that's almost going to pull you back and be like, Hey guys, this is what I need you to do for your diet. This is what I need you to do for your training. Because if I leave it up to you, you guys are going to fucking implode yourselves because of who you are and necessarily, you know, what you guys do. You just need somebody that's looking out for you a little bit and, and telling you it's not your fault, but you know what, we'll, we'll get through this. It'll be okay. And I think that's what Rob and I have really, I think, uh, you know, if anything, I think we've, been pretty good about showing people that like you know it doesn't have to be you know full tilt boogie it doesn't have to be the most extreme stuff you know uh, you know because a lot of the people that we're running into now obviously when you meet people that need some boots to the ass we're there to give it to them but like you know a lot of these people man and a lot of people that follow you know my training and a lot of rob stuff it's just they fucking go down the rabbit hole and you're like dude everything's about balance man like pull it back a little bit like don't go you know don't go full this way, you know, like peel it back and people do that stuff. I mean, we've seen it big in the paleo community too, where people just fucking go off the deep end and, uh, you know, they're losing their mind about one gram of sugar in, you know, in, in something, you know, and Rob and I've gotten emails forever being like, you know, sugar is not paleo. And I'm like, well, processed sugar is not paleo, but I'm sure at some point honey would have been paleo. I mean, they found that stuff in the, uh, in the pyramids, you know? So. Well, and, and, you know, even just beyond that, like we, we got all this flack about like our, our jerky mix and we, um, we tried like crazy to go real low salt and really low sugar. And what we ended up selling people were bags of mold, oddly enough, because sugar and salt are fucking food preservatives. So it's, um, yeah. uh, and the, the irony was that people would completely bust our balls on this stuff. And then we, I would ping them. I'm like, dude, do you eat apples? And they're like, yeah. And I'm like, okay, I want to throat punch you right now because you're, you're shaking us down about like, you know, uh, out of, uh, 
you know, 20 grams of protein, getting three grams of carbs from, from like honey or something, but then you'll sit down and eat an apple and not even think about it. It's like, okay, but it's, it's funny, man. Trying to save people from themselves is a funny, funny thing. Well, I think too, a lot of this stuff is, uh, you know, because, you know, and, and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm firmly believe this fad called the internet's going to pass. It's like pockets. Uh, it's, you know, <laughs> this thing's not going to last. But I, I think a lot of this becomes, uh, you know, whether it be training, nutrition, or just so many things, there's so much information coming at people that it becomes almost uh, like to almost keep your sanity, you have to almost narrow your track. Like, you know, like almost go to like a, a bit of an extreme because if it's almost too general, it'll fucking overwhelm you. So, I mean, people find like, you know, Hey, like, Hey, I'm into this paleo thing. I'm going to go so hard line. So, you know, like, uh, you know, we'd say, you know, big P little P like go so big P paleo because it's a, a set of ideals. Here it is. This is what I'm going to do. This is what I identify with. and I'm going to go down this because there's so much information. There's so much variation that it, it almost becomes like, uh, you know, confusing because there's so much noise. I mean, you know, and then when you even get into like the strength conditioning stuff, I mean, it's, I I thought the paleo stuff was, you know, had had a lot of variety, and it wasn't until uh, I hit up and you know, you know, became buddies with John Meadows, where I realized how much like craziness there is in the bodybuilding community. I mean, it's like high carb, high protein, low fat. And there's dudes that are four percent body fat that way, and then there's the low carb, high fat, high protein guys. And I mean, it's like I take this supplement, you do that. I mean, it's like everybody, you know, there's all the every. every possible combination of something is done from high intensity interval training to, you know, uh, high density, you know, uh, low ball. I mean, every training system you could imagine and you have five guys step on stage and they all look pretty much the same. And you're like, how are all these dudes shredded? And everybody does it, you know, uh, everybody subscribes to something different. So yeah, Denny, this could be a good segue to Jake's question. Yeah. He asked in the forums, um, he was it was pertaining to type one diabetics um, training for work capacity. Uh, he had asked that a person following a type one diabetic who follows a program like Field Strong, um, are there specific levels of intensity that would elicit completely different blood glucose concentrations during or after the workout? And he was also curious to know if IGF-1 is a concern for a type 1 diabetic um, following a program like CrossFit football or the Field Strong program. Yeah, you know, um, it, it was interesting, like the whole type 1 diabetic thing, uh, uh, actually Dutch Lowy and uh, uh, his girlfriend Maggie um, kind of got this on my radar because she is a type 1 diabetic, uh, started doing CrossFit. And they got these really paradoxical responses with her, typically with exercise, whether we're talking about a, a type one or type two diabetic, typically um, what we would generally consider exercise, uh, whether it was aerobic stuff or lifting weights, um, you would see blood sugar decreases from diabetics with exercise because you uh, increase, uh, it's not really increasing insulin sensitivity to muscles, it's non-insulin mediated glucose transport, but basically you're creating a, a sink for glucose to, to uh, go into and a great way to, to help uh, you know modulate uh, uh, blood glucose levels. But what was interesting, paradoxically, was that Maggie was doing CrossFit workouts and she was ending up with 
just sky high blood glucose levels, like in the 250s and stuff like that, like stuff that can kill you. And uh, with the type one diabetic, they, they've uh, experienced some sort of an autoimmune situation where the beta cells of their pancreas have been destroyed. They're 100, typically 100% uh, dependent on exogenous insulin to manage their blood glucose. And usually they use some combinations of short acting and long acting uh, insulin. And uh, it, it was really, really paradoxical to see these big uh, blood glucose levels post-workout. And it took me a little while to figure out what was going on, but I was kind of like, okay, stress, which uh, uh, you know, hard, intense training will elicit a, a stress response. A stress response releases cortisol. Cortisol causes a, a you know, release of, of glycogen out of the, the liver and releases glucose into the bloodstream, and that's where this carbohydrate is coming from. That's where this blood glucose is coming from. So we started playing around with her, like doing insulin boluses before workouts and, and uh, you know, post-workout and different things like that. And we had varying degrees of success. And one thing that we had to do was we had to dramatically curtail the um, variability of her training, because if we were completely switching things up day to day, we had no idea what type of an insulin bolus, you know, what type of blood glucose response you would get from a particular workout. So one, we had to really dramatically curtail the, the uh, variety of the workouts that she had so that she could create a map of generally of like, okay, if we do something that looks a lot like a Helen or a lot like a Fran or, you know, whatever, then this is kind of the response that we get. And the way that I manage that is with this strategy, whether it was pre-workout carbs, pre-workout insulin, or, you know, whatever. And, and so we were able to better manage things. But at the end of the day, the thing that I saw that really benefited her the most was just lifting weights and doing low-level cardio. And that made her ability to maintain blood glucose levels, both around the, the peri-workout period, pre and post-workout, and also throughout the rest of the day, it just shockingly improved her ability to, to manage her blood glucose levels. And any, anything really ratcheting that intensity up made it much more challenging to manage the blood glucose levels based around the stress. Using like heart rate as like no, it's, a, it's, uh, it's the idea that the non-immediate glucose uptake, like obviously like as you go to exercise, your body has that non-immediate glucose uptake, so it's going to blunt the uh, insulin. But the problem becomes that when something gets so, uh, I guess you could say like, uh, you know, uh, so aggressive, intense. yeah, like so intense, like there's going to be this huge uh, cortisol release and then mm -hmm. cortisol is going to kind of battle that on the other side. So, I mean, I, I know that when we worked some type one uh, diabetics, big thing we were about was like, you know, uh, like, and we, we had them with their blood glucose meters. I mean, it was crazy. Like they would do CrossFit and then all of a sudden they would, they would take it and it would, you know, the blood sugar would be way down. All of a sudden they would have to hit some insulin and all of a sudden it would shy, skyrocket and it was just this like, you know, and Rob saw it too. I mean, we saw this, uh, uh, it was like a vicious cycle and it was like, okay, let's, uh, let's lift some weights. Like you said, let's, uh, you know, do some, uh, you know, low endurance and some, you know, you know smaller kind of uh, cardio type stuff. And those guys did really, really well off that. So what it say, so is it safe to say that this field strong template for this type one diabetic is about kind of like what Rob's talking about within the realm of well, I, lifting heavy weights, but the only thing I would say is like, uh, it sounds like to me, Rob, the girl you were working with is doing almost low intensity, low impact, like almost steady state type cardio. Mm -hmm. 
walking on the treadmill kind of a thing or going for a walk? About that pace, about that pace, maybe a little bit more vigorous than that, maybe a real light jog, <laughs> you know, a, uh, a, a 220, 500 meter pace on the, the Concept2 rower, a 210, 500 meter pace on the Concept2 rower, like easy. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting because I remember going back in, um, like when you just in Flex Magazine back in the 90s, like when the, you have these bodybuilders. So it's cardio day, it's cardio day, and they're just kind of walking on a treadmill. That was their, their um, aerobic, you know, training. Well, I mean, they, uh, I know people are going to find this is crazy, and I know this is heresy for me to say this, but uh, for the last. 60 to 70 years, people have gotten in really good shape, uh, controlling calories, doing some fasted cardio, uh, you know, 30 to 60 minutes, steady state heart rate, you know, uh, you know, lower aerobic capacity type cardio and lifting weights. And I know it's crazy, but uh, that's pretty much aesthetically been, in shape. They're well, never well, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm saying aesthetic, yeah, aesthetically, like in shape. What I mean, like you know, physically from from the naked eye. Now, but, obviously, but people could lift some heavy weights if they needed to sprint. They could do some sprints if they needed to do some decent cardio. They could do some decent cardio. You know, from like a, a sport of fitness standpoint, or like MMA or combatives, maybe not super fit, but from a Health and longevity standpoint, pretty fucking wired. Well, I mean, uh, you know, uh, and really the uh, the analogy I always go back to, and I, I do, I, I try to read his work at least, you know, uh, like when I kind of lose my way a little bit, I always go back and read the Art Devaney stuff, mm -hmm. the evolutionary fitness. And I remember uh, Rob called me as he was just got done having dinner with uh, Art Devaney, and Art was what in his like late seventies, and you're like, dude, I just met Superman's granddad. Yeah. You were like, he, uh, like this dude is like, you know, he's in his seventies. He's like, he's, he's alive. He's vibrant. He's like totally fucking aware. Uh, all of a sudden we were like in New York and like, he like darted out into traffic and like took off and was pretty agile. And you're like, this is like Superman's granddad. This is crazy. And yeah. if you go, you go look at his, you know, Art Devaney stuff, it was, uh, you know, lift some weights, you know, like kind of like, you know, this, and, and, and really, if you look at uh, Art Devaney's evolutionary fitness, I mean, I really think, and I know that's kind of where Rob got cooked up on the first inter introduced to the CrossFit. I mean, that was really the kind of the, um, you know, lift some weights, run a little bit, go long, go short, kind of this constantly varied type deal. But, you know, at the end of the day, uh, don't ever put yourself in a place where you're, you know, so physically exerted that you can't recover to go do your training the next day. Rob, we did have a question um, that a few people wanted answered regarding naps. Uh, if you are lacking in your sleep during the nighttime, I know that the idea of sleeping a cumulative thing is uh, uh, well received, but what do you think about naps uh, throughout the day? How long should they be? Where, where does that have its place? Uh, naps are, are phenomenal. Uh, fit them in wherever you can. Um, naps uh, tend to work on like 15 minute intervals. And uh, if you do a little Googling around like uh, naps, 15 minutes, then you'll, you'll see like there, if you want uh, just like a quick creativity boost and like 15 minutes is good. If you want to improve memory uh, uh, consolidation, short-term to long-term memory consolidation, then it's like 30 minutes, 45 minutes does some uh, improvements in immune function and it, it kind of scales out from there. So depending on how you want to uh, 
what what your ability and what your needs are, then you can kind of tailor napping to that. I, I recommend also that uh, virtually everybody get some sort of a meditation app. I, I use this thing and pulling it up on my phone. It's just called Brainwave. I think it was two bucks on the iPhone. I'm pretty mm -hmm. sure they've got it on Android platforms also. And uh, uh, using some sort of a meditation app, you'll need to plug in some headphones because it actually like modulates the sound from the right ear to the left ear and it helps you know, tweak brainwaves. But I use that when I get a chance to just sit down and chill out for a couple of minutes. And it actually helps me to get into a nap easier. And even if I don't fall asleep, like it really just perks me back up and I feel a lot better with that, just even five minutes of it. Yeah, I've, I've used the same app. Um, I've had like good experiences with it, especially trying to fall asleep at night. Mm -hmm. um, well, the, the idea is, uh, you know, and this became, I, I think, uh, you know, we teach <laughs> at the seminar and I want to talk about sleep, about this idea of the sleep bank. And, you know, the problem becomes that, you know, I, I think we're people and, and, and we even do this with calories, like people get so obsessed with like their daily calorie. And I'm like, you got to look at this thing on a bigger scale that, you know, like instead of looking at it in terms of a day, you almost got to give yourself three days or four days or five days. If not, you're going to spin yourself out because all of a sudden, like, let's say you have a deadline, you got to meet, you're up late for some reason, something happens called life and your sleep gets fucked up. You know, you got to look at it like, oh, you know, my sleep was ruined. You know, there's nothing. No, you got to get back in there. And you're like, okay, you know what, if I'm, you know, uh, minus three hours and you know what, I got to knock out and get three or four naps to kind of even this thing out. And I mean, I, I do that with calories all the time. I, you know, you may, you know, you keep a, you know, kind of track of what you're eating and you're like, dude, I under ate, over ate. And as long as I'm kind of on the average and it starts kind of working, you can kind of at least give yourself a little bit of, you know, mental reprieve and not, you know, torture yourself. And I think that's where people get so obsessed with this stuff. You're like, dude, it's uh, it's a marathon, not a sprint. So let's look at this thing over a longer scale. And I think you'll get a little bit better. Absolutely. Man, I, you know, the issue I have with like trying to get a nap in is if, if it's not like REM, you know, then I kind of feel like sluggish for the rest of the day. If I'm just, you know, if I'm not tired enough to where I can just fall into a good REM sleep for like 15, 20 minutes, whatever. And I'm just kind of laying on the couch there in like that stage one or two sleep. You know, it's like I just feel drained for, you know, a little while, depending on if, you know, I get some freaking coffee in me or just go, you know, go coach a couple classes or something, get ramped up again. But if I could fall, if I could take a nap and go right into REM sleep every single time, that'd be huge. Yeah, I, I don't I, I don't know if you want to get right into REM sleep, though. Uh, uh, like I, you know, because I know a REM cycle is usually 90 minutes. So like, I think if you're only sleeping like a 15 minute nap, I don't think it's, uh, if you fall asleep in REM, I don't even think you can get into REM in 15 minutes. I guess if, if I, the way I'm using to determine if I did is if like I had some kind of a quick dream or something. Right. You know, I thought that's when you could tell that you were in REM is if you were, if you dreamt. Uh, it's, it's definitely a Doc Parsley or a Dan party question, but, uh, uh, it, 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 staying on these 15 minute in intervals typically mitigates that, uh, uh, the sluggishness. So like if you've only got 15 minutes, uh, then you set your, you know, your, uh, alarm or whatever for 20 minutes and, and, you know, or 30 minutes or 45 minutes or whatever. And then it, it tends to, to kind of mitigate that. Also, I mean, if you've legitimately slept enough the night before, you may not need a nap and you may not really be able to necessarily nap, but that's where like uh, using something like a meditation app, this is all of the, you know, sympathetic, parasympathetic, like allostatic load type stuff where, it, it, you know, people just don't 
they they give so much weight to like the um the being on part but they give almost no weight to the turning off part and whatever amount of intensity on the upslope that you have you need to have a similar uh volume and intensity of downside on on the uh the downslope and and uh uh, it's like you know, looking at a sine wave, and and you you know, if you've got a bunch on the upside, you need ju just an equal amount on the downside to be able to to maintain the the homeostasis is is maintaining this stuff over the long period, just like John was saying, you know, not looking at this day to day, moment to moment, but looking over the longer period. And so we will get into periods where like we have a deadline with work, or we have a project that we're working on, and we'll be working very very hard on that, and then you need a block of time on the back end of that where you're in a longer extended down down period and that can be tough but we see this a lot again because of the work that john and i do with uh, police and military in particular they are so on so much that it's really really hard to chisel them out of the on onslaught and then when you do pull them out they almost don't feel alive then or they just start drinking like they're yeah. kind of like i yeah. am Plus, they're yeah, like yeah, up yeah, all night. Yeah. All know, of that, know, yeah. And then like our, uh, most of the police I, I work with, they're they're doing their job like second shift, you know. Right. So you know they're asleep. Going back to what you're talking about earlier, their sleep's all fucked up. The the guy who really uh, and and I know this is kind of a strange uh, place to get it, but what um, I really didn't understand about like that kind of being on, being off, and really like how that can kind of negatively affect your training after a while. And it was actually uh, Abijayev. So mm -hmm. Coach Abijayev from the Bulgarian coach, I read a, a bunch of his work, and he did a, um, a presentation and uh, at a, a you know, I think it was at a, uh, uh, strength conditioning deal. And I, I started, you know, this is about four or five years ago, reading a bunch of his information about, you know, how they trained with, you know, a training maxes, daily maxes, and they would take heart rates and they knew a fake guy was training at too high a heart rate that was, you know, frying them on the backside. And they knew there was a competition training. And when we would do that type of, uh, you know, one RM stuff, we had a whole deal where it was like no emotion, you know, there was no stomping your feet, ah, you know, no screaming, no banging the bar, getting excited because the problem is is the minute that you start tapping into that emotion and you start tapping into that energy source you know you can you know all of a sudden pr lift by anywhere from you know four to ten percent uh you know by going into that place and the problem is though if you go to that well too much all of a sudden it starts becoming diminishing returns and then that's where you see people that you know artificially get there whether you know you watch a guy in his training and all of a sudden he's popping smelling salts and screaming and yelling music up you know popping you know, uh, you know, everything from ephedrine to, you know, Adderall, I mean, no matter what it is, uh, you know, slamming Red Bulls. And the problem is, is that becomes that kind of, uh, you know, law of diminishing returns where all of a sudden, you know, what you do is here and you keep it's kind of going. It's not sustainable. Going. Yeah, it's not sustainable. And people train like that. I mean, I, I've known guys that have trained like that for years and they just absolutely fry themselves. So a big part, and I, and I, you know, I was one of those guys, you know, loud music, let's fucking rock and roll. And every workout had to be this fucking weight room warrior assault and uh you know after a while it just completely fucking fries you and when i read a lot of abjf's work where they you know we started taking heart rates and we would you know we were wearing heart rate monitors during the lifts and you know how fast you were recovering it became very apparent 
that you know you need to you know be able to kind of differentiate the difference between training and testing and i think that's really where uh we really got into this training versus testing model that you know what like you know training is training testing is testing and the problem is is that every single day that you walk into the gym you are you know looking to test after a while you're going to fry yourself on the back end and you're not going to and it's not sustainable so you know the idea of training and testing and you know we've seen it with even the, the you know the top crossfit athletes where uh you know their ability and we talked about it yesterday their ability to stay relaxed under load is what is has been so uh it just blows my mind i mean when i was out at reebok we talked about it yesterday on the on the uh the round table that these athletes out there are you know hard charging athletes but every one of them is so cool calm and collected and relaxed during the during the workouts that they're uh, you know even though it looks like they're 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 testing and they're they're really going they're really staying super relaxed i mean the ability to have 400 pounds under your back and stay relaxed with 400 pounds is just it's pretty impressive so i think that idea of like hey if i you know have to you know have somebody spit in my mouth and kick me in the nuts and slap me in the face before every single lift or every single workout uh, i'm not going to be able to sustain and let alone continue to make gains year after year if i you know constantly have to tap into that, you know, emotional, that level of intensity to, you know, be able to survive my workout. So does that um, mean I'm out of a job? Who's going to do that? Who's going to slap your face? I wouldn't let you spit in my mouth. You have SARS. (laughs) Temporarily. Uh, Yeah. uh, Callie. Sorry, syphilis. Yeah. Yeah. uh, Rumor has it Callie was was making out with a gypsy on 4th of July and uh, contracted Ebola virus or (laughs) SARS or something. She came in the other day, and I was like, "He was just a carrier, though." Yeah, I was like, "I haven't seen a cough like that since I uh, saw the movie The Hot Zone." <laughs> what? Uh, that's why I started calling Callie Patient Zero over here, or <laughs> no, she was Patient One. I'm she patient met Patient one. Zero, but I, I like that's really the uh, you know like you know, and we write a lot of this stuff in, and I, I think by just design <laughs> that you know people are going to want to go hard, but you almost like we said, you know, it's Type A's, you got to save them from themselves a little bit and realize, you know what, like you know, in the NFL. We only played on Sundays. Now we went in, we practiced, but the, our full speed in practice was never our full speed in the game. And you know, we reserved that final gear, that last little bit, you know, that that last 10, 15% for game day, because if you always went to that place in practice and the guys that had to go to that hundred percent every day in practice rarely had that extra gear in the games. So um, you know, it becomes this, you know, deal. And, you know, just like with Rob doing his program, I mean, a big thing we stressed is he's like, well, how do I know one RM is good? I'm like, well, it gets slow. As long as it continues to stay fast, you can continue to progress. The minute that all of a sudden you hit a sticking point, the bar slows down or all of a sudden it becomes grindy, then you got to cut the weight or, or you, you went too heavy. So, you know, that idea of being able to move the bar 0.8 meters per second and just be explosive and quick becomes huge in terms of understanding that, uh, you know, that those intensities. And lo and behold, even at 42 and having a kid and running multiple businesses, I, I continue to improve. I, I just uh, told my coach that I'm going to commit to doing the uh, Masters uh, Worlds in, in November down to Long Beach. And uh, uh, basically the, the deal would be that if I win that, then I get my purple belt which would be an absolute fucking coup. And it's the only way I'll get my purple belt before I'm like 45. So it's, um, Dude, that's awesome. Yeah. His coach is named John. Uh, who, what's his last name? Did he say? My, my coach is, her name is Kelly Weatherford. That's, uh, oh. yeah, yeah. She, she's my jujitsu coach. Yeah. 
Uh, Rob, I have a question uh, just on being on and being off, kind of uh, acute and day-to-day. I know that cool-down, stretching, it's a hard sell. And uh, I've been reading kind of uh, Vershashanti's stuff, like if you don't stretch or cool down, uh, then recovery doesn't start till four hours later. Hmm. And I know people are quick to grab a shake. People are quick to kind of eat post-workout. So without that stretch or cool down is kind of that absorption uh, with the blood in your muscles versus your, you know, GI tract. Is that absorption affected by not stretching or cooling down? Oh, man, you know, honestly, I, I don't know. But it it, uh, it makes this is a I'm, I'm guessing here on this is a, an opinion piece. But um you know, when you're working out, you're very much in that sympathetic, dominant um, fight or flight kind of mode to some degree. And like John, you know, like we've been talking about, we're trying to mitigate how far down that road that, that we go. We're not completely listening to, you know, ride the lightning, headbutting the bar, you know, before every set. But you're still up more than in a in a uh, a recovery state. And so it makes sense that if you're not doing something to really legitimately like, you know, pull it out of, out of, uh, uh, you know, one gear and shift it into a different gear and, you know, like doing some deep breathing, some stretching, some relaxation stuff at the, at the end, like you really do need to shift gears so that even, you know, shifting blood flow from the muscles to the gut is one of those key indicators of being sympathetic versus parasympathetic dominant. And when we start shifting blood flow to the gut to get to nutrients to then shift back out to the peripheral tissues, that's a really important thing. And so, I mean, it, it, it makes sense. I, I have absolutely no data on like, well, you need to do X amount of stretching or foam rolling or, or deep breathing or whatever. But from a, from a mechanistic standpoint, it really makes sense that um, you've got to keep some recovery activity in there to, to help encourage your body to go from that fight or flight mode into a, a, a maintenance and recovery mode. It definitely makes sense, but I have no idea what, 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 you know, what volume, what, what type of things you need to do, um, stretching, deep breathing, um, getting heart rate down to a, a normal baseline, again, a, a meditation app type deal, um, synchronizing breath and movement, like some kind of yogic flow type stuff definitely seems like it would be good. Well, I mean, we do, uh, you know, some recovery stuff. I mean, that idea of just doing some, you know, steady state kind of low, uh, low capacity kind of recovery. Like the other day on CrossFit football, it was like walk, you know, 45 to 60 minutes with like a 50 pound weighted vest. And people were like, what does this have to do with football? I'm like, absolutely nothing. It's about recovery. <laughs> just fucking Text, I, when get she, out of the gym, when put even, on a heavy vest and go take a fucking walk, get, get some sunlight, get out, get out of the gym, enjoy it. And the best is I programmed it in Cali who, uh, <laughs> did, uh, you know, did the cross the football with text before they worked uh, with us it was like, Tex made me load up a backpack with two slam balls and we had to walk around DC. That was the stupidest fucking thing. And I even said, what the fuck does this have to do with football? And I, la- I laughed. I was like, it has nothing to do with football. It's about getting you outside, just getting you a little bit of recovery. And the thing which is interesting is um, I uh, like 
I'll walk in the mornings and uh, it takes me about a mile to even get my heart rate up over, you know, hundred. So, I mean, I walk for that first mile and I'm trying to really walk fast. Um, it takes me a while when I wear the 50 pound weighted vest, it takes me like half of the time, if not a quarter of the time to be able to get my heart rate up. So, and then it stays pretty consistent, um, you know, when, a, when a, you wear that weighted vest. So it's just literally about, you know, letting you get outside and do something. So, I mean, not everything is about getting you ready, you know, in terms of specific, like this energy system, like some of these are about recovery and, you know, you got to kind of skin it and get people out there to do that. So that was funny. Kelly said that. Denny, how long have we been going right now? Shit. The typical <laughs> hour and a half, maybe. Okay. Oh, Jesus. We keep getting more questions, which makes me think the longer we stay on, the more viewers are going to come on. But we can't, it, this can't last yeah, forever. Yeah, this is, yeah, if, if that's um, an hour and a half. We have a couple of like really good questions, but unfortunately, I, I, I just think it's going to take, they're really involved questions. So we'll have to save them for next time Rob is on. And uh, guys, Rob is a member of the Field Strong uh, family. So, um, you know, uh, hopefully, if uh, I, I don't, I'm, I'm not on the uh, each day to day stuff as much as I would like because, I, again, I'm kind of following my own abbreviated template. But when people ping me questions, I answer them. So, yeah. So, yeah, if, if you hit up Rob, uh, you know, uh, you know, we, we could hit him in the nutrition and start some dialogue. So, if you got some stuff now with that in mind, like, don't fucking hit him up like a hundred times a day. Yeah, yeah. Don't, <laughs> don't, 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 don't be like, Rob Wolf, you know, if I have 39 uh, grams of carbohydrates post-workout, is that going to be better than 40 grams? I'll, I'll, I'll tell you what gets answered is stuff that is concise. Yeah. So it like Tamara's question, Tamara, um, you can ping your question straight to Rob because it was very precise and it, it, but it's a, it's very specific question. Um, and I just don't think we have time to go over the rest of the questions, but, uh, is there anything else, Rob, anything coming up for you that you want to mention? No, no. I mean, we're working on the City Zero project. Uh, really, really exciting stuff going on with that. Um, the Power Athlete uh, family is going to play a significant role in all that stuff. Just to remind people what the story was with that. We did a two-year pilot study with Reno Police, Reno Fire, um, uh, put them on a paleo diet, got them lifting weights, doing smarter training, uh, modifying their sleep. And the pilot study saved the city of Reno $22 million dollars. Uh, we've been ramping this thing up, getting ready to take it nationally and internationally. We're hiring a, a completely top of the food chain CEO to, to run this thing. I've been kind of in that position, but uh, uh, not everybody with absolutely no credentials for CEOing can build a, a mega business. So um, <laughs> I, I actually had a, a wherewithal to, to actually uh, get some aces in their places, but um, really exciting stuff with that. Very, very exciting. I, I think it's legitimately going to help a lot of people and it's going to be a lot of fun too. So that, yeah. that's kind of the big thing that I'm, I'm hammering on, which we have certifications, uh, uh, nutrition and training certifications in, in process with all that stuff. Do y'all, do y'all have a website for that? Not yet. We're, okay. we're waiting to crack. We, we would, it's, <laughs> It's a long story. Like when I get to tell that whole story, it, it, it'll actually be kind of interesting. But we we do not. I've just done a couple of blog posts on it. If people Google like Rob Wolf risk assessment, then you can see what I've written on that. I have like four blog posts on it currently. It's why you're firing yourself as CEO? Yeah. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Great. But I'm, go I'm going on as chief strategist because I, <laughs> I, I, I like that. Self-appointed. He's actually yeah. going on his uh, chief optimist prime. The so. assistant to the assistant <laughs> regional manager. <Yeah. laughs> Corporate accounting. Just a moment. Uh, all right. 
Yeah, well, th yeah th thanks, Rob. Uh, that was awesome, dude. I, uh, oh, I'm, I, I, I'm a little sad it took so long to get me on here. I, I felt like the, uh, the redheaded stepchild or something. So, oh, you know, it, the problem is, is that you know you got to get through so many people. There's so many layers to get through Rob Wolf. I mean, you got to get through the the entourage to finally drag you on here. But uh, thank you very much. That was yeah, awesome. We, we we text like six times a day, so it's super hard <laughs> to track me down. So, <laughs> dude, just because we're like 13 year old girls, but don't, it's just uh, emojis. Yeah, it's yeah. <laughs> Actually, Rob's real big on the emojis. I'll get like a like like a pig with a gun and like a pile of poop and be like, <laughs> "Pig gun poop? What does that yeah. one mean?" Like, I'm not really comfortable with this. Like, we're good friends, but I'm not comfortable with this at all. And, and it just says like 10:30. <laughs> yeah, and, <laughs> and then I'll get like a bunch of like tears with a thumbs up, and I'm like, I'm like, why is Brewer crying right now? Oh God, I'm glad I was taking off those group texts. Yeah, yeah, awesome. Well, thanks, Rob. Uh, but you yeah. honor being on a good a lot of fun you, you talk to you guys soon right. yes, thank you bye bye, bye. Rob. <laughs> all right bye. <laughs>